0: This is
1: you His abundant life by the power of the Spirit, you realize that you get to live heaven on earth now so that you can, when it's that time, when that boundary, that last breath, whatever God's designed for us, that's just a step into eternity. See, God's inside men and inside women realize that we are one breath away from eternity, and that's where the real party is.
0: God has already given you the resurrected life of Jesus. You have it right now, today. And because you already have the life of Jesus inside you, it's just one small step into eternity, just one breath away. Pastor Daniel is going to remind you today that when you come to the end of our life on earth, you get to join the real party. It's greater than you could ever imagine, and your entrance fee has already been paid through the blood of Christ. Now here's Pastor Daniel in 2 Kings chapter 4 as he continues his message, God Gives. Verse 32,
1: when Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in therefore and shut the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child, and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house, and again went up, stretched himself out on him. Then the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes, and he called Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite woman. So he called her and when she came into him he said pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. That's a powerful story, isn't it? Now I want you to notice a few things. I want you to notice first that all of this begins with the hospitality of this woman. This woman notices Elisha coming and going. And every time Elisha would come, she realizes that this is a man of God, and she says, I want to bless this guy. So it begins with some meals, and then she says to her husband, says, hey, listen, maybe we should prepare an upper room for this guy that when he's in town, he has a place to crash. He has a place to be taken care of. And a relationship builds based off of an act of hospitality. Now, I think this is important because I think in the generation that we live in, Hospitality is kind of in short supply, even though it's something that God values very highly. And all through our Bibles, we find hospitality is a context for which God often works. If you think of Abram, when he was sitting in his tent in the heat of the day and a bunch of angels showed up, he just didn't know it. And God worked in an amazing way. We're reminded in the New Testament, let us show hospitality, because for some, as have unwittingly entertained angels. We live in a culture that has kind of lost its heart for neighborliness, kindness. All this begins with an act of hospitality to a stranger. But over time, as Elisha's staying here, he finally tells his servant Gehazi, hey, I want you to go speak to the Shunammite woman. I want you to ask her, what what can I do for you? Can I go, can I advocate for you, can I go talk to someone? She's like, no, no, I'm good. I live amongst my people. But then Gehazi says, but you know, her husband's old and they've never had any children. Now again, in that culture, if you lose your husband you have no children, a widow was destitute. It was unlike today where a woman could work on her own and it's a different culture. It's amazing. So Elisha says, well, listen, you know, this time next year you're going to have a child. And she says, whoa. She's like, I didn't ask for this. You know, you can imagine for her, In that culture, I mean, even in our culture today, when women struggle to conceive, it's a huge situation. And unfortunately, there are many of you going through that kind of a situation right now where things just haven't gone the way you hoped it would. And it becomes a great challenge. And she's just like, I'm not asking for this. And he's like, I know. But it's going to happen. It's another one of those miraculous biblical births. Right, But sure enough, over the course of time, she has the baby, the baby grows, and then as this young baby becomes a young man, he goes on out with his dad into the fields, and sure enough, he says, my head, my head, some sort of heat stroke or something. And so the father sends the son back to his mother, and the mother embraces the son, and that son sits on her lap and on her knees, and then dies. I mean, just imagine this. Unfortunately, some of you... Understand what this feels like. Loses a a child. And so what does she do? She lays him on the prophet Elisha's bed and she goes to see the prophet. Do you notice the repeated phrase all the way along out of her mouth? What does she keep saying? It is well, hardly, unless this woman understands something that we have a tendency to forget. She doesn't tell her husband her son's dead. Why? She doesn't believe he's gonna stay dead. And sure enough, she sh- goes out towards where Elisha is, and literally the prophet realizes that she's coming and sends Gehazi out. And you know, she just blows right past Gehazi. She's not stopping for this dude at all. She passed, go, she collected her 200 bucks, she was moving and grooving. She was not stopping. And she lands there, she grabs his feet, she pleads. And Elisha is like, wow, the Lord didn't show me all that went on here. And says, Go ahead, Gehazi, take my staff. You're going to go heal him. And she's like, No, 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 you're going. I like that. This woman has got a bold faith. She believes that God wants to do something amazing. She has this bold faith. And so, sure enough, Gehazi tries his little thing with the staff. It's not working. And then, sure enough, Elisha gets there. And Elisha goes through these series of prophetic acts where he lays on top of. This dead child laying in his bed. Now, no doubt he learned this from the prophet Elijah because if you go back to 1 Kings 17, the same thing goes on with the widow from Zarephath. The apostle Paul uses the same way of doing this in the book of Acts when he preached such a long-winded sermon that the guy fell out the window and died. That's why we don't got windows in the sanctuary, my friends. <laughs> Pastor Bill was smart. You know, there ain't no windows. There's actually, there's one upstairs, but we keep those things barred shut so the video guys don't fall out when we go along. And sure enough, this young man comes back to life. What a miracle, huh? What does it teach us? It teaches us that God gives life. God gives life. God's plan is, is not only that we would have life, but we would have life more abundantly. God wants the life of Jesus resurrected. He wants that to be the life that we walk out every single day. And I'm here to tell you, my friends, this life is not all that there is. This life is small potatoes comparison to eternity. And Jesus does not ask you to give up this life for the next. He asks you to give up your own version, your self-styled version of this life, so that He can bestow His life to you here and now, and give you an eternity in the hereafter in His presence. It is the ultimate, greatest transaction that God wants to bestow upon us. He's saying, look, the life you want to live on your own It's cool, but it's not all that you were created for. It's the best you can come up with. And the problem is, it's the best that you can come up with. See, God has a life that he wants to share with you in Jesus. See, he wants to give you a life unlike anything you ever dreamed. And part of that understanding is to realize that this life has very specific boundaries to it. But the life in the hereafter has no boundaries to it. Now don't get me wrong, as someone who's lost someone very close to me, I don't want to minimize our struggles with the unknown of the end of the boundaries of this life, but when we remember that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in the midst of the children of God, it changes the way we view the boundaries of this life. This life is temporary, but life in God's kingdom is eternal. When Jesus gives you His abundant life by the power of the Spirit, you realize that you get to live heaven on earth now so that you can, when it's that time, when that boundary, that last breath, whatever God's designed for us, that's just a step into eternity. See, God's inside men and inside women realize that we are one breath away from eternity, and that's where the real party is. And I'm not saying, believe me, the boundaries of this life are challenging. God didn't create us to have boundaries this side, but we got them because of sin. But Jesus conquered that. And when you're God's inside man or inside woman, you always realize that Jesus conquered death. Listen to what he says, John 11 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Brothers and sisters, when Jesus asked the question, do you believe this? I always find myself saying, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. Because I have to every day preach to myself that this life is not all that there is. That when soon this life is past, I step into the real life, a life that lasts forever. So just as God wants to give his Holy Spirit, God also wants to give life to those who are living in a colony of death. And this is why Jesus invites you to come to him, that you would come to him and say, Lord, I want to have life. Now, again, for those of you who've never said yes to Jesus, I think you want the Holy Spirit, and you want to have life and life abundantly, and you want to have a life everlasting. But I want to speak to those of you who are here who've been in Christ for a while, because sometimes we've been in Christ for so long that we think we have the abundant life, but guess what? It ain't the abundant life. We're just stuck in the rut like everybody else. And even though we go to church, we're not saying, I am experiencing the resurrected life of Jesus in my here and now. See, it's so easy to think to yourself, well, I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years and and I have the abundant life. Do you? Is your life a display of the resurrected life of Jesus? See, I love how God works because God's always pushing us a little forward, right? Because there's some of you right now, you're like, yeah, man, in this area of my life, I'm not living the abundant life. Why? And you start asking yourself those questions, and then God starts to reveal answers, and then before you know it, He's taking you into a new place. He's taking you into that next step that He has for you in this journey of faith, because as long as you're not home with Him, He's still doing a work in you. Isn't that awesome? It's a beautiful thing for God to say, come on, let's take the next step together. Let's do the next thing. God wants you to have life and life more abundantly. And that abundant life isn't measured by things, it's measured by his presence. Just as Elisha, by the power of the Spirit, raised the Shunammite son to brand new life, Jesus wants to raise your life into brand new life. He wants to take you from glory to greater glory. He wants to do a fresh work in this week, in this day, in your life. If you're saying, Lord, I want your life. I want that brand new life in my own life. So God gives life. Now, this chapter ends with two stories, two miracles, both having to do with food. So you know I love them. Look what it says in verse 38. It says, and Elisha returned to Gilgal, and there was a famine in the land. Now the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said to his servant, Put on a large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Verse 39, so one went out into the field to gather herbs, or herbs, depending on where you're from, and found a wild vine and gathered from it a lapful of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, though they did not know what they were. Then they served it to the men to eat. Now it happened as they were eating the stew that they cried out and said, man of God, There is death in the pot, and they could not eat it. So he said, then bring me some flour, and he put it into the pot, and said, serve it to the people that they may eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Now, I don't know about you, I've never been involved in a famine. I was thinking about this today. They're talking about famine in the land. I think the only time I ever experienced famine was when Twinkies went out of business for like a month. (laughs) It shows how privileged I am, you know what I mean? It's like the worst day was like when I found out they were putting Twinkies out of business and I drove to like 97 stores in Clark County. Couldn't find one box of Twinkies anywhere. (sighs) But some of you remember a time. I mean, some of you waited online for gasoline for hours, right? See, in a time of famine... There's scarcity, right? And so they have these school of the prophets and all these guys need to eat and so they go on out and they send somebody out and they go and they collect whatever they can find and they make a pot of stew, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I would feel very uncomfortable just collecting a bunch of leaves and gourds and sticking them in a pot of stew and hoping that it tastes good. Like I kind of like to, you know, you go to the supermarket in our day and age and you smell everything, like that'll smell good, that'll work, ah, I don't know if that looks so good, and so you, you choose your ingredients. They end up making this big pot of stew, they start eating the stew, and all of a sudden someone starts probably feeling a little bit ill, and they say, Elijah, man of God, there's death in the pot. Now I don't know why that always makes me want to laugh when I read there's death in the pot, but you might want to tweet out there's death in the pot. In the day and age that we live in, that might get some traction. There's death in the pot. And there is death in the pot, even though I know that there's cases no one's ever overdosed from smoking too much weed. Sin equals death. So there's death in the pot, my friends. If God wanted you to be stoned, He would have made you that way. He quite likes you just the way you is. (laughs) Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) <laughs> There's death in the pot. There's death in the pot. Think about the picture. Everyone needs food. There's a mix in there that's killing. There's death in there. And the prophet Elijah takes some flour, mix it is in, and it's fine. Now, any of you who are chefs know that when you're making a sauce, you put a little flour in and it thickens the sauce. If you ever make a good shrimp scampi? You put a little, once you get in, you put a little flour in there and it makes nice thick. Everyone's writing that down, all the people are like, yeah, all right. When something is impure, and you can mix in, and it becomes pure, it's a perfect reminder that God gives forgiveness. God gives forgiveness. See, forgiveness is not that there isn't death in the pot. Forgiveness is there is death in the pot, but there's something that will neutralize that death and let it be purified. And that is exactly, my friends, what Jesus has done for you and for me. It's something that an inside man or an inside woman grabs hold of and understands at the core of who they are, is that each one of us has introduced death into our own life of pot. The stew of your life, you have introduced death into it in some way, whether it's an impure thought or an impure motive or a whole lot of actions that we do every day. And left up to our own devices, each one of us deserves death For what we have introduced into the stew of our lives, so to speak, that is causing us down. But when we allow Jesus, the bread of life, to become part of our lives, he forgives us and neutralizes whatever that thing is that's killing us. There is forgiveness in the name of Jesus. Now, I realize he introduced flour, so for those of you who are gluten-free, sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Jesus is the gluten-free bread of life for those of you who are having issues with gluten. Listen to 1 John 1.9. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For some of you here today, you've never said yes to Jesus. And I think for some of you, you don't believe that Jesus can truly cleanse and forgive you of your sins i'm here to tell you he can and he will just let him sure you can't fathom how he could but let's be honest when it comes to the ways of god who can fathom the ways that god works part of acknowledging god is acknowledging that we're not we don't understand god's ways but for those of you who have already said yes to jesus If Jesus has cleansed you, I think you need to start forgiving yourself and forgiving people around you. The only perfect person is Jesus. If God has forgiven you for your mistakes, why are you holding it against yourself? Why do you continue to beat yourself up over it? If somebody who you know has hurt you and God has forgiven them, why are you holding it against them? God gives forgiveness. He wants us to pass that along. God takes the death in the stew of our lives, and he cleanses it by his own blood. God wants to forgive you. He's already done the work. Let the forgiveness have its purifying work in your own life. One more food miracle. Verse 42. Then a man came from Baal, Salishah, and brought the man of God bread of the firstfruits, 20 loaves of barley bread, and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. But his servant said, what? Shall I set this before 100 men? He said again, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over according to the word of the Lord. Now, I love this, because it's interesting that they brought the first fruits of the harvest not to the temple, but they brought it to the prophet Elisha. Why? Because the religion, the religion of the true and living God in Elisha's day was completely apostate, it was completely corrupted. It was totally a mess. So instead of bringing the first fruits to the temple, They brought it to the prophet because they figure the prophet's the only one who's got his act together. And so kind of a crazy reality. And Elijah isn't like, no, 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 you got to go bring that to the temple. He's like, fine, feed all these guys. And I love this because they see this through the eyes of the natural. I mean, what's some 20 loaves of barley and some new ripe grain with 100 hungry prophets? And they say, no, 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 no. There's no way. And Allah says, no, no, give it out. Everyone's going to have leftovers. And sure enough, they gave it out. Everyone had leftovers. It's a miracle. Sounds like a great potluck too, right? What does this teach us? This teaches us that God gives nourishment. God gives nourishment. It's an important reality. The idea of nourishment, it's the idea of being satisfied. I mean, you think of what Jesus said, that Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? They will be what? Filled or satisfied. They will be nourished. See, the cravings that we have in our souls, God wants to satisfy in his own way. And don't miss the fact, the multiplication of a little food to feed a lot of people. We see Jesus doing this both in Matthew 14, verses 13 to 21, and in Matthew 15, verses 32 to 39 the feeding of the 5000 and the feeding of the 4000 it's a reminder to us that when we bring to the lord the little bit that we have he can do so much more with it
0: jesus is real god gives life Pastor Daniel has been making his way through a series of miracles in the life of Elisha. Each one of these miracles has pointed to a greater truth. Today, we saw Elisha raise a woman's son from the dead. We were reminded that God gives life. He doesn't just give breath to us, though. He gives us abundant life. We have the awesome privilege and responsibility of walking out Jesus' resurrected life every day.
1: Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own
0: copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when we will see another inside man. This time, we're going to watch a slave girl taken from Israel have compassion for her master and point him in the direction of freedom and life. Talk about an inside man. This girl was powerless in her life, but she carried the kingdom purpose within her. Where do you feel most powerless and what can the kingdom bring to that situation?